This is episode number 260, Lifestyle Medicine with Dr. Melissa Sunderman. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. I like to tack on a seventh pillar near and dear to my heart, and that's exposure to nature. And I feel like uh, fresh air and nature are so grounding and so powerful that I encourage my patients to get fresh air every day. And we live in Michigan, you live in BC. That can be challenging in the winter time. But I tell my patients, one of my favorite quotes is, there's no bad weather, just inappropriate clothing. Just want to take a second to give you a big heartfelt thank you for being a listener and a subscriber of this podcast. It means the world to me that I get to do this and I've been doing this for four and a half years. The podcasting space is very competitive, so I'm so glad that you're here and it helps me stay motivated whenever I get reviews and I hear from you guys. So really appreciate those reviews and those messages you've been sending. If you haven't taken a second to do that, just take two seconds and just write us a quick review and that will put even more wind in my sails. Today is a topic I'm very excited about as a plant-based athlete and as a health coach, and it's about lifestyle medicine. Have you heard of lifestyle medicine before? Lifestyle medicine focuses on chronic disease prevention and chronic disease reversal, things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and type 2 diabetes. Lifestyle medicine uses six pillars in order to help patients and individuals optimize their health. The six pillars include nutrition, movement, sleep, avoidance of risky behaviors, managing stress, and the role of social connection. So as you can see here, health isn't just about eating or exercise. It has a lot of different parts involved. And we dive into these topics and more with Dr. Melissa Sunderman, who is a double board certified physician in both internal medicine and lifestyle medicine. Dr. Sunderman currently practices medicine with IHA in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and is helping to launch the IHA Lifestyle Medicine Institute. She has been featured in several lifestyle medicine articles and podcasts. There's also an American College of Lifestyle Medicine, ACLM, if you want to check that out. Dr. Sunderman is plant-based and is also an endurance athlete. She's a nine-time Boston Marathon finisher and a three-time full Ironman triathlon finisher. Today, you're going to learn a lot of things, including how to know what's true when it comes to research and what you hear about nutrition, because there's so much information out there, the pressure to know everything as a medical doctor, doing your best, what the six pillars of lifestyle medicine mean and how they shape your life, how sports shapes our values. And we also got into things like sleep hygiene, whether it's okay to drink alcohol and some myths around food. If you like all things plant-based, you should check out my cookbook. It's called the Plant Powered Academy Cookbook. I released it a couple of years ago, and you can get it at moxieandgrit.com. It's a digital cookbook, and it has very simple yet delicious and easy-to-make recipes because, let's face it, most of us don't have time to be cooking and spending all this time making these elaborate recipes. So I created these recipes with the time-crunched athlete in mind and also to maximize flavor because I love food and I don't want to just eat bland food. So go to moxieandgrit.com, M-O-X-Y and grit.com and pick up a copy of the Plant Powered Academy if you don't have it already. And we also have a free Facebook group with over 2,300 members called the Plant Powered Academy Facebook group where people ask questions. Like today, someone asked, what do I do with Swiss chard? How do I even cook this? So it's really supportive and it's a great spot if you have any questions or are just plant curious. 
And a quick other fun shout out is on the Moxie and Grit website, we have a bunch of new products available. A lot of you asked for a replica of my cycling jersey. So I have a Moxie and Grit cycling jersey that you can get. We have men's and women's sizes, and that's at moxieandgrit.com. We also have two new sock designs out in multiple colors. So we have a sock that says Beer Me, which is super fun. And we also have another sock that says F-Bomb because some people didn't want actual cuss words because of their kids. So the F is pretty fun because it's just an F with a bomb next to it. So people can use their imagination with that. So go to moxieandgrit.com to check out tons of fun sock and apparel designs to make you smile and make your ride or run just a little bit better. Okay, so let's dive right into this episode with Dr. Melissa Sunderman. Dr. Sunderman, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to you as well. I'm really excited to be here today. So fun to get to chat with you because not only are you a medical doctor, but you're also an endurance athlete and you really believe that eating a plant-based diet is the way to go. So uh, how did you find eating a plant-based diet? So that's a good story. And I will disclose, I haven't always been plant-based. Um, as you mentioned, I am an endurance athlete. I'm not a professional like you, but um, I have uh, dabbled in this for, for many years. And I really thought I was doing the right thing. I, I thought that eating clean, right? That's And clean meant just, um, I don't know what that meant. Maybe it was avoiding processed food and I didn't eat red meat. And I pretty much was a, a pescatarian, but I, I sort of thought that I needed this protein before my big braces. And so, um, and I kind of thought that I was doing the right thing. And then uh, several years ago, I came upon a book called How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. He's actually been on the podcast a couple of times. He's, yeah. So was, How Not to Die. That's such a great book. That's actually oh one my of my gosh. favorites. So, you know, I was listening to an audio book and I was just sort of blown away. Here I am a physician. Here I am. And I've been a physician, you know, I'm going on my 23rd year of, of wow. being a doctor, right? And an endurance athlete. And I thought I was doing everything right. And after reading that book or listening to it, I just couldn't go back, right? I just couldn't go back. And I um, became plant-based. And, and it's kind of funny because uh, my husband and I were both in our 50s. And so I said, you know, I'm going plant-based. And he said, well, and I'm a lifestyle medicine physician when that's what we advocate for as well. And so he said, well, okay, I'll do it for 30 days with you. And that was several years ago. So we, you know, both feel great. And our daughter, who is a division one athlete at the university of Michigan, she's on the women's swim and dive team. She's a 10 meter diver. She wow. is also plant-based. So that goes to show you that you can be strong and you can feel great um, being plant-based. So, yep, that's how I came to my arrival of plant-based nutrition. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, exposure to information is something that was really important for you and realizing that you wanted to try this out. And that book, How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger, which is just him going into tons and tons and tons of research on the top killers of, of humans. <laughs> <laughs> A big problem that people have when it comes to making changes or especially with their diet is there's so much conflicting information out there and they don't know what to believe. And I was in that boat too, before I changed my diet. So how did you know that what that book was saying was true? Right. And I think you're so right. And like I said, I, I'm a physician and you know, when I go back to see some of the things that I recommended to my patients, I, I cringe, right? Because I just didn't know. And 
medical school education, while being wonderful and preparing us to be doctors who can heal people, there's lacking in education. And one of the big areas uh, still to this day is nutrition. So I went to medical school and back in 1994 until 1998 at Michigan State University, and I had a great education. But the average education in nutrition for uh, all throughout medical school and residency, so that was seven years for me, was about 17 hours, right? And we're not trained in in everyday nutrition. We are trained in um, pathology of nutrition. So rickets, vitamin C deficiency, or Kashi workers, vitamin or protein deficiency. And have I ever seen a case of either of those in 23 years of practice? No, <laughs> right? Or it's memorizing biochemistry pathways, such as the Krebs cycle. So again, uh, pretty worthless. So really all of my information for nutrition was kind of things that I had heard, maybe I read about on a magazine cover. So, you know, for years I told my breast cancer patients to avoid soy and I told patients they need a protein and, you know, to go with lean protein, right? Which would be uh, chicken and, and fish and pork. So when I read that book and I had, of course, heard of Dr. Michael Greger and his passion and, and nutritionfacts.org and, and really it's, it was all of the research-backed evidence. I mean, you look at his citations, um, hundreds upon hundreds of citations and it's kind of like, makes you kind of mad. Like, how come no one told us this, right? And, and I just, I have, you know, close follower to uh, Dr. Greger. And of course I've met him in person and, and seen him give his lectures. And he's just all about getting the truth out there. You know, he's nothing to gain from this other than donates all of his profits, you know, but he just wants more to get out there. And, and we're so backed by uh, influence from industry, right? And that, you know, at least in Canada, where you live, the food pyramid came out and they took dairy off, right? There's not a cup of milk there. Here in the States, our food pyramid still has milk. And that's because there's a huge, you know, financial incentive with the, the Dairy Association. So I think finally finding evidence-based research that really isn't backed by industry really made me you know, see the truth. Yeah, thanks for bringing up just how interwoven the funding and like the dairy industry and like animal agriculture. I changed my diet and didn't even realize for years afterwards that this was going on. And there was frustration, like, why didn't anybody tell me this? Or like for you, you know, making recommendations to people like, oh, you have breast cancer, you shouldn't eat soy. Like, you know, that type of information. Where, like, where did you get that information, I guess? Right. And I think it was just, you know, I was trained by physicians, right. And, um, came through my training and, you know, you have your attending physicians and you start off as a medical student and you report to your interns as you're an intern, you report to your residents as a resident, you report to your attendings and really they're your superiors. And so you kind of take what they hand down to you. And and I learned so much from all of those people ahead of me, but with that, just, it's like the telephone operator game, like someone passes on something and, you know, I throughout when we can, you know, go through my pathway of my career, but I did additional training, but never really focused on truly the nutrition, right? And it wasn't until I really studied for my lifestyle medicine board certification and made that commitment that I really had to take a deep dive into the nutrition. And um, and I really was blown away. And I've, you know, heard this similar story from so many other physicians that once they really studied nutrition, you know, just we were we were so easily swayed. And, you know, my other thing I talk to my patients all the time is how protein has just been glorified as, as a healthy macronutrient, right? And of course we all need protein, but somehow marketing has done a wonderful job of you can slap 
contains protein onto pretty much any package. I mean, Pop-Tarts contains protein. And suddenly we're like, oh my God, Pop-Tarts are healthy because they have protein. I heard this like McDonald's, I keep hearing this McDonald's radio ad and it's like, like whatever, blah, 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 grams of protein. And that just makes me laugh. I'm like, that doesn't mean it's good for you. Right, exactly. So I... You know, hats off to those that marketing campaign because they've really done a, a wonderful job. But it just that's the misinformation is that, um, and I know you believe this too, is like, you know, we're all pretty much everyone's fiber fueled other than uh, we vegans, but um, or fiber fiber deficient other than um, the vegans out there. So let, let's make fiber the new branding. <laughs> yeah, I actually created a t-shirt. It says, where do you get your protein? And then the protein is X'd out and then it says fiber next to it. I feel like a nerd Perfect. when I wear it, but I love it. I'm like, this is me, people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I'm sure you're familiar and you may have already had him on the podcast, but we'll both see what's a book fiber fueled, which I just feel like is, is just a wonderful resource and, and so well-written because I learned from it, but then also I recommend it to all my patients because I think it's written at a level that non-medical people uh, can really uh, understand it and, and grasp mm-hmm. a lot of knowledge. Yeah, I think it's really a tough spot to be in some ways to be a physician because everybody looks to you to know all the answers to everything. And right. they, they think you know everything. And, you know, some doctors aren't as humble as you and they don't want to admit that maybe they didn't know something or maybe like, yeah. oh, I, I learned it wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So what was that like for you whenever you kind of had that realization piece and the pressure of feeling like I need, I need to know things? Yeah. So I actually just had an interesting conversation yesterday about this. And I think that, you know, throughout our training and and we as physicians um, and in so many professions, you as a health coach, you want to help people, right? And go through all this education uh, to prepare yourself to, to always be able to help people. And of course, medicine isn't perfect. And, you know, in hindsight, you're prepared to all the information so that you know how to treat patients the best, but, yeah. but we don't know everything. And I think that's really important to understand because it makes you a better physician. And we as physicians, I think that you need to be authentic. You need to be vulnerable because there's times that I don't want to think of them as mistakes because I made the best decision-making I could with the information given, right? Yeah. And, and we say in medicine, um, hindsight, you know, is twenty twenty in medicine. Cause right. Once you have the diagnosis, it's like, well, there it was, but you know, every, every day I show up to work and to treat my patients with a hundred percent, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, of good intentions and using all of the knowledge I have. And I care deeply about bringing that quality of work. That being said, I think in any profession, you need to be curious and always want to learn. Right. And I think that's where 23 years into this, my gosh, I learned something new every day. And, and I had, I did video visits to my patients this morning. And one of my patients was just wonderful. A new, a new patient to me. I learned from her. She's also a health coach and she gave me some resources to check out. And I think that makes us more human. That makes us, um, that's the kind of partnership I want to have with my patients is I want to learn from my patients too. And I I don't have all the answers, but my gosh, if I don't have an answer for you, I'm going to, I'm going to, check into that. Right. And we, we can form a partnership. And I think that if you approach at least my opinion as this authoritarian to dictator, then I don't want to make be in charge of a patient because really like as an individual, I want to empower my patients. Right. I want to give you the tools and resources. I want to give you advice and recommendations, but ultimately I want you to learn. Right. And if I do all the work for you, then I'm not learning. I don't know if that answers your question, but (laughs) 
Yeah. And, you know, something that I heard you say was it's a partnership and a lot of people Mm -hmm. don't view, you know, their relationship with their medical practitioner as a partnership. But if both parties are viewing it that way, it helps the person trying to make the change have more intrinsic motivation because when someone just tells you what to do, it's really hard. And something I found so interesting, you mentioned like, yeah, I've done the health coaching program at Vanderbilt and I didn't know that like compliance to taking prescription medication was so low and like just things like that where I would just assume, oh, people just do it. But then, you know, the doctor will make recommendations and people just don't even do it. Right. Exactly. And, you know, I think, and we can get into what more specifics about lifestyle medicine, but what I really love about it is, you know, it's not that I don't prescribe medications, but there's other ways of of healing, right. And, And lifestyle optimization. And, a lot of times in medicine, you know, pills are band-aids, right? And your Dean Ornish has a wonderful cartoon of two men on the floor wiping up water, right? And just continuously wiping up this water on the floor. And they haven't looked to see that the, the sink is actually leaking. So it's like, <laughs> well, may, maybe you would just fix the leaky sink and then you wouldn't have to continuously mop up the floor, right? And I feel like in conventional medicine, a lot of times, you know, we're, we're putting medications and band-aids on everything where it's like, Hey, well, why don't we get to the root cause of this? And then we could help uh, patients much better. That's such a great metaphor. And I do want to get into lifestyle medicine in a second, but there's something else that you said that I, I want to pull out that I think is really important. You said that the decisions that you've made in the past, while you would make a different decision now, like those were the right decisions at the time. You did your absolute best with what you had at the time. And whether you're a physician, whether you're a parent, what like whatever you're doing, like a lot of times we look back and like we have regrets or we beat ourselves up because I should have done it different. But as long as you're doing your best in the present moment, that's the best that you can do. And taking Absolutely. that lesson that you said and putting applying that to anything that you're doing is as long as you're showing up today, even if you might be different tomorrow, that's okay. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't know if you've read the four agreements, right? But that's, that's one, one of, of the four books. agreements. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Is always do your best. Right. And that's, that's all we can do. And I think that, you know, to have that self-love and in order to be able to do that, like today I did my best. It, it might not be perfect and that's okay. Cause we aren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I create my own cycling kits for my racing and this year's kit has all of my favorite mantras that I use for myself on it. And one uh-huh. of them is your best is enough. I love that. Yeah, yeah, that is that's perfect. So coming back to this, what is lifestyle medicine? Okay, so lifestyle medicine is a relative newer board certification. So I'm a double board certified, both internal medicine and then lifestyle medicine. And I became board certified in 2019. Um, there's congrats. N- yeah, thank you. There's not a lot of us out there, but the numbers are growing exponentially. It's so exciting. So I would say, um, you know, lifestyle medicine really uses six pillars in order to help our patients and individuals optimize their health. And we're really looking at chronic disease prevention and possibly chronic disease reversal. And chronic diseases I'm talking about are high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, coronary artery disease, obesity, even preventing things like, you know, new evidence showing for Alzheimer's dementia and even moods. So the six pillars of lifestyle medicine, uh, one is uh, nutrition. And I like to tell my patients, uh, basically food is medicine, right? If you think it about that way. And we do advocate for a whole food plant-based diet. Um, Sometimes I say to my patients, uh, plant strong, plant slant, you know, because um, sometimes it can be intimidating because they say, you mean vegan? 
And you say, well, I mean, it's, it's a plant-centric kind of way of eating, right? Um, but really the evidence, oh gosh, is just so clear that a whole food plant-based diet is just the way to optimize our health. So that's the first pillar. The second pillar is um, the importance of movement and exercise, which uh, you obviously are, are taking great care of that one and, and, so and myself you. too. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, and so it, we do recommend about 150 minutes per week of modern intensity movement. So if you break that down, it's really 25 minutes a day. So it, I think when we look at our lives, most of us have 25 minutes a day. You know, how many, how much time do we spend on Netflix and, and Facebook, right? So, um, and movement comes in many different forms. And I tell my patients, it doesn't mean you have to go join Planet Fitness and, and go on the treadmill and, and pump weights. Movement can be going out bird watching. Movement can be dancing. Movement can be, you know, taking walks or skipping rope or in your case, mountain bike, and in my case, running. And so just finding something that you enjoy doing, right? And because we want it, again, when we're changing lifestyles, this doesn't, we don't want this to be work and punishment, right? We want this to be just, this is what your body craves and needs. Like for myself, you know, I, um, I exercise pretty much every day in, in some way, shape or form. And I don't feel right if I, if I don't move my body. So that's the second pillar. The third pillar um, is the importance of sleep and and sleep hygiene and uh, restorative sleep. And we're getting more and more evidence that sleep is not just like, oh, you know, you're tired at the end of the day. And so you just kind of crash, but really it is such a healing mechanism. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Matthew Warner's book. Um, not, about I, think it's, um, I think it's Matt Walker. Oh, sorry. Matthew, yeah, Matt right. Walker, I meant Walker. Yes. Sorry. But why we sleep and just, you know, learning more book. about the glymphatic system and, you know, getting rid of toxins as we sleep and, Nowadays with technology, you know, so many of my patients say, well, you know, I, I just don't sleep well. And well, are you on your phone? Well, yeah, no, I'm, you know, on my phone lying in bed or I'm watching TV and just that blue light, you know, how that can disrupt our melatonin. So really trying to emphasize the role of sleep and coaching uh, patients on to how to optimize their sleep. A uh, fourth would be avoidance of risky behaviors and, and such as uh, smoking, uh, drug use, excessive alcohol. Uh, fifth is the role of managing our stress. And we all have stress in our life, right? And what that does to our body and, and how we manage it is so important. So whether, you know, for me, it might be some going for a jog um, for others, you know, and mindfulness, right? And, and meditating. And so just finding one some ways to manage your stress. And the sixth pillar um, is, uh, which has been challenging in this past year, is the role of social connection. And ultimately, we are, human, as human beings, social creatures, and we, we need our belonging. And whether that's just having one close friend or whether that's your family members or your place of religious worship, we need our social connection. And I think now that things, um, I know in the U.S. and hopefully too in Canada are starting to open up. And of course, outdoors is always open, right? So just being able to you know, see loved ones and, and connect with friends and Zoom, of course, we've all been using this whole past year. So those are the six official pillars. I like to tack on a seventh pillar near and dear to my heart, and that's exposure to nature. And I feel like uh, fresh air and nature are so grounding and so powerful that I encourage my patients to get fresh air every day. And we live in Michigan, you live in BC. That can be challenging in the winter time. But I tell my patients, one of my favorite quotes is, there's no bad weather, just inappropriate clothing. So <laughs> bundle up, get out there. And um, you know, if it's super icy, maybe not out there, but um, otherwise, you know, just bundle up and, and breathe some fresh air. 
Yeah, I interviewed this psychologist, Ethan Cross, and he has actually he's he has a lab in Michigan. It's like about emotional and self-regulation. And his okay. book is called Chatter. But there's a part in his book where he quotes some of the research on exposure to nature and even people who could just see green out their window, it decreases yeah. incidences of depression. So it's just so important to just I have agree. access to green space. Absolutely agree. Yeah. So Food, sleep, movement, avoidance of risky behaviors like drinking and smoking and those types of things, stress management, social connection, and Mm -hmm. nature. Um, A lot of these things are things that athletes, especially endurance athletes, these are just things that we do regularly, but it's hard to do them all well. So I actually want to go into your career as an endurance athlete, like uh, you mentioned running. Can you talk about how you got into that and how that has shaped your values? Yeah. So growing up, I actually was a ballet dancer. Um, My mom had a ballet school. Oh gosh, she's up until well until her 70s. So I grew up as a ballet dancer and very into the arts, uh, my entire family. Um, And I actually think that prepared me for becoming a runner and a biker because um, dancers, you know, we think of them as being artists, but they're also incredible athletes, right? So um, (laughs) yeah, so very strong lower body, that's for sure. And um, so in college, you know, my boyfriend at the time, you know, he said, Hey, let's run a marathon, you know, <laughs> of course, because why not? <laughs> so, um, you know, didn't really know how to prepare. Right. And first marathon was Chicago marathon, 1992. I was just graduated from college at the university of Michigan and ran a blazing four hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> so not very fast, but you know, that's okay. It was my first marathon. And I was like, wow, that was pretty cool. So then, um, I decide for my second marathon, I was in medical school, second year of medical school. And I decide, wow, I want to run the Boston Marathon and it happens to be the hundredth anniversary of the Boston Marathon. So how cool would that be? So I set my goal and, and knew I had to qualify. And at that time I was quite young. And as you know, Boston qualifying times, you know, as you get older, now I'm in my fifties and I don't have to run as fast to qualify. So I think the qualifying time at that time was three hours and 30 minutes, which would have be 45 minutes faster than my first marathon. So, you know, cause I, not like I didn't have enough to do in second year of medical school, but I found some <laughs> med school buddies and, and we trained pretty hard and, and I was able to qualify. So, um, at the Columbus marathon. So then I went on to Boston to run my very first Boston marathon. And, and it's just incredible. I mean, I, I was born on the East coast. I was born in Worcester, Massachusetts, about an hour outside of Boston. And so I have a lot of relatives there. Um, so I'm very special. So, and just that started getting me interested in, in just running. And then I took up mountain biking in college as well. And then got into back then, back in the late 80s, early 90s, they had fat tire biathlons is what we used to call them, right? So I did some of those early races where um, now that we call them duathlons, but back then it was fat tire biathlons. And it was like, okay, you know, I was doing, I, I enjoyed it a lot. So did a lot of mountain biking. And I got into Xterra and uh, did quite a few Xterra. I actually qualified for world championships maybe in my late 30s, but too busy working. So I, I didn't end up going to that. And, you know, always ran. And then back in 2006 or seven, I decided I wanted to do a triathlon. So I was fortunate in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I live, that we have a, a great recreational community. And I was connected with a world champion uh, triathlete. Her name is Karen McKeechee. And she was back in late eighties, you know, Ironman. I think she, she came in eighth place overall one year. She was inducted to the uh, triathlon hall of fame um, several years ago. So she took me under her wing and um, really trained me for triathlons. And so went on to do a bunch of triathlons, including three full Ironman triathlons, several half Ironmans. And 
trained really hard and, and went to duathlon um, world championships. Tragically, she was killed cycling four years ago. And it's, it's really changed the way that I, I look at roads and, and biking now. And so that's why I prefer gravel roads and, and trails because now it's a different kind of biking now. So those days of, of, of highly competing, um, I, I still do compete, but I think I, I devoted a lot of time to training and set some PRs. And, you know, I ran a 304 at Boston and went in my forties and was proud of that and then broke 11 hours in the full Ironman and broke five hours and a half Ironman. So I sort of chucked those up and says, okay, now I'm in my fifties. I'm never going to be that fast again, but that's okay. Um, so I've continued running and I bike. I'm not as fast as I used to be. I like to joke around and say that my garment is terribly off because I feel like I'm working just as hard, but my pace is getting slower. So I'll be running my 10th Boston marathon in October. It's usually in April, but it got canceled. So I am going out there and this will be 25 years after my first Boston. And I'm proud to say I'm going to run my, my 10th Boston at the age of 51. That's amazing. Yeah. I actually want to run the Boston marathon someday. Um, running is how I got into endurance sports as well. And I ran my first marathon when I was 18 okay. and then I found cycling. I ran two, two marathons, found cycling, and then just kind of never went back. But now I've started running again as like kind of a cross training thing since there's been no racing with the pandemic. I figured it's yeah. a great time and it's been fun to come back to that. Um, yeah. But coming back to the the six pillars, so we just talked about movement. Everybody listening right. to this podcast is very familiar with movement. People listening to this podcast are probably pretty familiar with whole foods, plant-based diets, the benefits of them. Um, we've had tons and tons and tons of guests on the podcast talking about that. But I wanted to actually ask you about some of the other pillars of yeah. lifestyle medicine, because we haven't talked to, we've had one um, PhD researcher in sleep, on sleep, uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Amy Bender, but we haven't talked about sleep a ton on the podcast. So can you talk about um, some good sleep hygiene practices? Well, first of all, I think that when you connect it with, with the endurance athletes, my gosh, when we exercise, I think that I've never had an issue with sleep. Now I'm going through that menopause kind of area. And so, you know, friends of mine, um, that definitely can affect sleep. Um, knock on wood, I'm doing okay. So I, when I'm talking about sleep hygiene with my patients, I encourage them to, to exercise and move. Now that um, doesn't mean that at 10 o'clock at night, you, you know, head out for a run, because I think then that might keep you up because usually after I exercise, I actually get a lot of energy back, right? If I get home from work and I'm exhausted and I say, okay, I'm just going to go out for a short bike ride. I come back like, whoa, you know, I feel recharged and, and re-energized. So I do encourage a daily practice uh, of exercise um, or yoga, um, which can be obviously very good for mindfulness and in touch with our body. You know, importance of caffeine intake and really I try to encourage people to minimize, you know, co coffee is fine, right? Coffee is fine, but one or two cups, but I try to be done drinking coffee by about noon because, you know, studies just show that can still be effects of caffeine into our bodies um, late into the afternoon. So, you know, if you get tired at 3 PM, don't, don't reach for that Coca-Cola or, or your coffee. Cause I think that could um, affect your sleep later on. Also, you know, just meal times, right. And uh, I don't always do a great job of this because my, my husband on the side coaches soccer. And so usually he's working during the day and then coaching soccer at night. And we we're empty nesters now. So we like to connect at the end of the day and, and have dinner together. But ultimately, you know, if you could be done eating your last meal by 7 PM or so, just to be able to digest your food and be able to, to go to sleep. And, um, you know, sometimes if we eat late, 
and just all of that blood flow and, and metabolism that's going on that can affect our sleep as well. And then avoiding, you know, things like the processed foods and the greasy foods at night. And of course I'm advocating for a whole food plant-based way of eating. So we don't, we don't have to worry about that. One of the biggest things is, uh, you know, really it's the blue light. And I, a lot of people feel like, but that feels relaxing to me. You know, if I'm watching a Netflix in bed or I'm scrolling through Facebook, ah, it's a way I just decompress. While that might feel like the case, you know, the blue light, really what it's doing when the blue light comes in through those retinas and then goes to the brain area, it's actually, you know, our body is like, oh, you know, we're awake. The, the, the sky, the sun is still out. So we don't need to produce melatonin. Right. And, and the opposite is true. It's, it's actually dark out where our body should be and brain should be producing melatonin, which helps us sleep. So, you know, just don't watch TV in bed, leave that phone. You know, I'm, <laughs> my husband jokes to me, he was out of town last night and he said, Oh, I probably shouldn't text you at night because you're into that sleep. What do you call it? I said, sleep hygiene. So <laughs> I said, I get up there. I have my phone next to my bed just because I'm on call a lot. So I need to hear if, if someone needs to get a hold of me about a patient or, you know, my, my kids need to get a hold of me, but I won't look at my screen. You know, I just am very disciplined about just turning that over and getting into bed. And um, I, I just don't want to stimulate my brain right when I'm going to bed. And then other things like, you know, you really want to sleep in a cool environment, um, just the way that our body cooling mechanisms and uh, the, the cascade of how the the heat is shunted, you know, from basically the, the visceral organs out to the extremities and, and vice versa when we're waking up, um, that we want to be in a, in a cool, um, dark environment as well. So those are the, the big things that I, you know, will talk to my patients about. Um, and, and also consistency, right? Because I see so many people who maybe don't get enough sleep during the week. And so they, they catch up on the weekend or, hey, it's the weekend and I don't have to be at work. So I'm just going to sleep until 11 or 12. You know, while that sounds attractive, it's, it's just not good. We need consistency. We need, you know, follow the circadian rhythm where, you know, ideally and try to go to bed by about 10 o'clock because after 10 o'clock, a lot of things in our mind will rev up again. And so we feel like, oh, we're, you know, <laughs> we're night people. Well, really that kind of happens to a lot of people. So you really want to be in bed by 10 before things start amping up again. And then aiming for, you know, seven to eight hours of sleep, ideally. Um, I always don't always get that. I, I aim for that. But um, I think those are the, the main pillars that I talk to my patients about. Yeah, I think those are those are some really good advice. What about the blue light blocking glasses? Does that actually work? I don't have enough information to comment on that. I have had patients that use that. I have not worn a pair myself. So that will be something I'm curious about. So I will do some research on that. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I read on my phone at night before bed. Like I like eBooks on my phone yeah. and the phone like, you know, has night night mode and stuff, but I'm thinking to myself, like, am I still being exposed to blue light because I'm right. reading on my phone? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a really good question. Yeah. What about alcohol consumption? Because it seems like it, well, it's a very like normal thing in our culture. Smoking is is not really a normal thing anymore yeah. in our, our culture. People are like, why do why would you even smoke? But alcohol seems like people are still imbibing quite a bit in alcohol and don't 
fully understand the risks that they're taking with it. And I am not completely, you know, non-alcoholic, but I have greatly reduced my um, consumption of alcohol after reading because every 10 years there's that World Anti-Cancer Research Fund study comes out talking about cancers and how one of the topics is how alcohol causes cancer. And you're absolutely right. And and let's go back to the sleep, right? So you might feel like that glass of wine or that beer relaxes you and it helps you sleep better. It might help you fall asleep, but you don't achieve that deep sleep that you do if if you weren't consuming alcohol. So when you're even looking at the sleep pillar, um, alcohol can definitely affect that. Uh, Through um, our pillars, what the recommendation is, is for females, one um, alcoholic uh, drink per, per day. Not that you need to do this or want to do this, but that would be the max is one for females, two for men. Um, and again, you know, ultimately none is the best. And yes, it there's correlations. I mean, if you look at the, the World Health Organization classifications of carcinogens, right? Alcohol is class one carcinogen. So, you know, tobacco is up there. You know, we as vegans were like, so is bacon and processed meats. But if you look, so is alcohol, right? So we do know what causes cancer. And, you know, Christy Funk has a wonderful book of uh, breast cancer. And when you're looking at breast care, cancer, um, alcohol can definitely contribute to that. Obviously, stomach cancers, liver cancers, colorectal cancer. Um, so optimally you know, no alcohol. Now, that being said, I'm sure you're familiar with Dan Buettner's Blue Zones, correct? And, you know, uh, for uh, listeners who aren't um, familiar, so Dan Buettner was a researcher uh, for National Geographic, went all over the world, sort of asking the question, where in the world are people living the longest, right? Who has the highest percentage of centurions, so 100-year-olds? And he found five original Blue Zones. So Okinawa, Japan, Sardinia, Italy, Akiria, Greece, Nicoya, um, Costa Rica, and then Loma Linda, California. And he found nine commonalities. One of them is, he calls it wine at five, but basically having a little bit of a happy hour. So, you know, there's some, I want, and that's, you know, that was sort of epidemiological evidence. So I too will occasionally have something to drink and it's usually with friends, right? And it's part of that social and connection pillar, but uh, optimally, I think that we're not going to go wrong with not consuming alcohol, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a tough one for a lot of people to hear that because, well, one drink a day, you know, that adds up. And a lot of times yeah. you're like, if you pour a glass of wine, you're probably drinking more than one serving of wine when you pour Correct. a glass of wine. And yeah. people are probably like, shut up, Sonia. I like my drinks and I, <laughs> I'm with you. Like, this is something I'm working on yeah. <laughs> for all the listeners. Yeah. But yeah, it's like if you go so far to like change your diet to whole foods, plant based, you go to bed like every night <laughs> doing all these things, but then you're still like drinking every single day yeah. or you're, you're drinking even a few times a week. Like that could take away as long as it's not taking away from the social pillar that can yeah. take away from your health. And absolutely, if you choose to make those decisions, that's totally fine. But it's just it's just about being aware of the choices that you're making. And that's that's yeah. why I'm a huge proponent about talking about the benefits of eating a whole foods, plant based diet and how, you know, animal based products can, can harm you, you know? Yeah. So just knowing what you're doing and, and making that choice on purpose and being intentional, right. I think is super important. Yeah. Because I, um, I have a Facebook group that I run for life, lifestyle medicine. And I did a posting just last week, um, about the class one, um, carcinogens and the processed meats being on there. And, you know, everyone's obsessed with bacon nowadays. They <laughs> understand, but, um, and I had so many people comment, like, I had no idea. Like, why didn't my doctor tell me about this? Well, probably because they don't know either, <laughs> or a lot of them don't know. But you know, it's just 
I agree. Putting the information out there, the awareness, um, and then, you know, we're individuals. I can't make choices for other people, but my job is to educate. And that's when I see patients and I start talking to them about their diet. They're kind of not used to that because most physicians, A, and I was one of them, we just didn't know. So what do you see in, you know, your after visit summary? Eat a healthy diet, right? <laughs> what does that mean? Um, it's so relative. So when I go into, you know, really um, advocating for a whole food plant-based diet, you know, I explain, I feel like this is almost medical malpractice if I don't give you this, this information, right? If I'm not telling you that this way of eating has been proven to be beneficial for you. Um, you, you may not want to hear it. You may not choose to do it, but that's my role as, as your physician is I want to give you information to best take care of your body and avoid illness. Yeah. So of all these pillars, which one do you think people have the hardest time complying with or even not even yeah. co like complying, but just like moving in that direction and taking yeah. in the information and being like, okay. Yeah. So I, gosh, I think it's, it's really the nutrition one because people are really, they're set in their ways because it's cultural, right? It's family. And so when I explain to patients about, you know, cause they say, well, diabetes and, and blood pressure run in my family. And I'm like, true but so do recipes and lifestyles, right? So, and if you grew up in a household, a multi-generation that, you know, you have McDonald's every Friday and pizza every Monday, and that's just all you know, right? That you're surrounded by, that's normal, right? And so to hear something so drastically different and, you know, just the emotions like, but my grandma's lasagna, what do you mean? I can't have her sausage, cheese, bacon, whatever, meat, lasagna. And so you really have to be sensitive to that. And it's, it's a big ask to have patients who to, to not be able to have some of that anymore. And so what I try to explain is try to not think about what you're giving up, but try to think about what you're gaining. Um, and I oftentimes show the video um, and it's from Canada, Make Health Last which is just a, a 60 second video. And it's basically about the last 10 years of life. And it's the same actor split screen and one side is illness and one side is vitality. And that really resonates um, with patients of like, I don't want to be that guy who's in a you know nursing home on oxygen. I, I want to be the guy who's playing with his grandkids. And so, you know, saying you can make some changes and I'm going to teach you ways that it's not going to feel like you're missing out because you're going to be feeling great. You're, you know, and I've seen it happen of, of people who are like, my gosh, I never thought I could feel this good. So I think it's so different that, and people don't know where to start. So we've got resources and programs, you know, to, to give the education and support. And, you know, everyone walks out of my, that first visit with a, a whole new grocery list, right? I've got like a five page grocery list. Cause they're like, I'm only going to be able to eat lettuce. And I'm like, no, no, no. You know, and, and cheese is a big one. It is a really hard one for people to give up. So, you know, telling them about our, you know, vegan cheese sauces we can make. And, you know, I don't, want people to eat a, a lot of the highly processed vegan foods, but there are plant-based, you know, almond cheeses out there um, that people, if they really need a slice of cheese, you know, on their bean burger, you know, they can do that. But th that's where people really seem to, they're like, I can eat more fruits and vegetables, but God, cheese, I love cheese. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Making change is difficult. And even walking out with a different grocery list, like knowing where to even buy that stuff in the grocery store, yeah. or even what some of those things are, can be really intimidating for people. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's just like, and, and it doesn't have to be perfect, right? Of just taking some small actionable steps and really, and you, 
in health coaching, it's that whole, um, you know, stages of change and then confidence, right? So if someone rates their, their confidence in making this change as a one, like, no, we're not going to do that because that just sets up for failure and, and shame. And so do you feel like you're an eight on getting rid of cow's milk and doing almond milk instead, or, or some other plant-based milk? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty confident I can do that. Okay. Well, let's start there, you know, and then they feel good about that change. Hey, I was able to do that recommendation you made me. So um, I think, and then I've got other patients who are like all in, they're like, okay, I'm buying the books that you said, I'm going to watch Forks Over Knives, What the Health, Game Changers, and I'm in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's just meeting patients where there, where there are um, encouraging support and that there's no judgment. And, um, you know, I'm just here to, to provide education and that I, that I believe in them and empowering individuals, right? And I don't want to, like I said, I, I think it requires a partnership and that I believe, translating that I believe in you, you know, that you can, you can do this. Yeah. Yeah. And those small actionable changes are so powerful. Some people, like you said, are all or none and they need, they can't have a, a gray area. They can't have right. a gradual thing. They need to overnight change, but most people mm-hmm. aren't that way. Most people need to like, they, they can't make the change if they think this is forever. And yeah. I think, I think what you said, you, you just said, I'm going to do, or maybe it was your husband. I'm just going to do 30 days yeah. of this yeah. and then see how I feel afterwards. And it's not yeah. this like life, like you don't have to commit to this for life. It's just seeing yeah. how you feel. And most yeah. people feel pretty good. Yeah. And another thing, you know, we, we talked about earlier about all this conflicting information, you know, and so when I start talking to, to patients about whole food plant-based, I get lots of questions, right? Well, I, I've been told I can't have nightshades or I have this blood type, so I have to eat this certain way, or I heard lectins and beans. And so, and then the soy and then the protein. <laughs> So there's a lot of myths that we go through and, you know, fortunately I'm able to, you know, go through the, the evidence that supports that and, you know, really just really educating and you can break it down. You know, I think simply when you talk about fiber, right. And when I say that, you know, I've never seen a protein deficient patient in 20 years of medical practice, but I've 95% of my patients are fiber deficient, you know, and then even educating, where do you find fiber? Because I think, you know, I do a trick question. I am like, what has more fiber, carrots, steak, you know, eggs, you know, and, and people be like eggs. I'm like, Oh, actually it doesn't have any fiber. Right. So in teaching how to read labels and I'll do some practical things, right. Cause we're starting with, you know, I probably didn't know this, you know, a while ago, but looking at a food label and I say, scroll down that food label, look at cholesterol. If it is anything above zero, it has animal products in it because, you know, you can look through, you know, I'm, I've got to wear readers now, so I can't even see the ingredients. So, but that's just an easy way. And then look at fiber. You know, if there's fiber listed, that means it actually has some kind of those, the whole food plant based in it. So just educating just some small practical tips of even how to go grocery shopping. Right. And then we talk about sodium intake and how to read labels for that too, a, a real practical way. So I think it's giving actionable steps, you know, in practical, uh, you know, learning, uh, things that we can give to our patients. Yeah. And I, I imagine one of the hardest challenges about lifestyle medicine is that people have to be planning for their future selves, 
not yeah. who I like. And some, some people it is, you know, very acute. Like they just had like a heart attack or like something right. happened. They're super yeah. motivated to make a change today. But for a lot of people they're like, well, like I'll worry about this when this happens to me, or I'll worry about yeah. this when I'm 60 or 70 or whatever the age yeah. that, you know, but it might be too late by then. Like you might actually be dead before you have the opportunity to right. make changes. Yeah. And what we do is, is, um, the organization I work for, um, is, is called IHA and we're like a 900 provider, multi-specialty, huge group, but we've recently launched the IHA Lifestyle Medicine Institute. So I'm one of um, the physicians as part of that. Um, we've got a few lifestyle medicine board certified um, physicians. And so one thing that, that can help is objective data, right? And I mean, lab tests or body mass index. So we really try to capture, you know, we check a cholesterol, your lipid panel, which gets our LDL or triglycerides, cholesterol, and A1C, which is a marker for diabetes, um, C-reactive protein, which is an overall marker for inflammation and body mass index. And then, you know, if people are going to make changes or they don't make changes, let's retest and show which direction we're going. And it's amazing. We have been partnering with um, Rochester Lifestyle Medicine Institute with Ted Barnett's group. They have a 15-day jumpstart program and we're, we've been enrolling our patients in this. And I am amazed within 15 days of doing this jumpstart program, like we're seeing A1Cs dropping by a point, right? We're seeing LDLs dropping by 10 points. The changes can happen fast. You know, people getting hypoglycemic on their, their insulin because they're like all of a sudden their, you know, insulin resistance is dropping because they changed their diet. So that can help patients is when they see objective data, like, wow, those numbers, that makes sense. I maybe can't feel it internally. I mean, hopefully they're feeling better um, and, and feeling you know more vitality, but the objective data can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And something I think is really interesting is that you can still be like a fit athlete and have health problems. Like one of my yeah. friends, he is a professional cyclist and he had high blood pressure and he changed mm -hmm. his diet to whole foods plant-based these years ago and yeah. it came down a lot and you can still have high blood. Yeah. Like there's family members that I have, like no one in my family is overweight, but a bunch of people have high blood pressure, even though mm -hmm. they, yeah. you know, they eat animal products, but they're cooking most of them at home. They still eat vegetables like and fruit yeah. every single day. They exercise every single day and they still have high blood pressure. Yeah. And same with, with weight, you know, when I say to patients like, well, another way to lose weight is to, you know, be a, a, a smoker, <laughs> you know, smoking a pack a day, or if you're on chemotherapy, but those aren't healthy, right? Those are not healthy ways of losing weight. So just because your body mass index is in with a normal uh, range does not mean, you know, underlying health. You mentioned some of the food myths and people mm -hmm. are probably like, wait a second, I, I want to know some of those myths. So can you yeah. talk about some of those? Sure. So I think that the biggest one is, is protein, right? As a, as a food group and a macronutrient. And again, just that, you know, industry has really done a wonderful job about making this such a, a healthy macronutrient. We all need protein. Absolutely. But not as much as, as we think we do. So for the average person, it's 0.8 grams per kilogram, right? So you're talking 40-ish grams for, you know, typical female and 50 grams for typical male, which is, you know, some of those protein shakes, you're getting that in a protein shake, right? And I, you know, I have patients who, who, who aren't exercisers and like, well, I got in my protein shake in the morning. And then, you know, I got in my protein bar. And, and then when I ask what they eat for dinner, and it's always described as I have a fruit, a vegetable, and a protein, right? And so it's like, but, but, but your veggies have some protein in them, or, you know, I have some beans and some, you know, so protein is always in a lot of people's mind, animal protein, right? So I do the math for them. I have their body mass index or their, um, their kilograms right there. I do the calculation and I write it down from, this is how many grams you need. 
Now as athletes, particularly like you as a professional athlete, you're going to need more of like 1.2, maybe 1.3, depending upon your training regimen, grams per kilo, right? So I do that math for them. And then I have a wonderful vegan protein list, right? That goes through all the food groups and the amount of protein in it. Can people so get that we, list? Like, can, can it, you provide yeah. that for the podcast? Yeah, for sure. Cool. It's great. It, it goes through everything. And so I show them like, look at even your veggies have protein in them and you're going to get your most bang for the buck with your beans and your lentils and your tofu and your tempeh. So educating that we don't need animal protein. In fact, you know, just the detriments from animal protein, insulin growth factor, and uh, the, you know, just all of the cancer causing um, factors in animal protein. And so re-educating about that um, and showing them that you can get protein. And, and I oftentimes bring up my daughter who is this D1 athlete, right? Or professional athletes like yourself and game changers. And I know Matt Frazier and um, Robert Cheek just came out with their new book that highlights you're in there too, um, of all these professional athletes. two copies that are back there. <laughs> Yay. That's awesome. That's great. Um, so that is a big myth, right? Um, and so they all get my grocery list and the vegan protein list. Um, so probably the second myth is, is the soy and, and I fell prey to it because again, this is what I was taught. Oh, I was so, afraid of soy too. Like before I yeah, did anything about it. Yeah. Yep. yep. So soy does contain phytoestrogens, right? And, but phytoestrogens are different than the endogenous estrogens that we produce in our body. They bind to a different receptor. They bind to a beta receptor, which actually can block they are endogenous receptors. So if you've got like a cancerous tumor, right. And the phytoestrogens are sitting there all happy. Like you can't get in, you know, and our endogenous insulin is like, darn it. I can't stimulate this tumor. That's going to be a good thing. And, you know, not to mention that soy and the Florida edamame and, and tofu and tempeh are great sources of protein. So I tell my patients, actually the research shows that if you consume soy on a regular basis, there's a 30% risk reduction in breast cancer. And then for men, so feed it to your husbands and your sons and your nieces, you know, your nephews, because then there's about a 30% risk reduction in prostate cancer. And then for women who've had breast cancer, again, this is where I was like, oh, if you had breast cancer, you can never touch soy again. Don't even look at it. There's also about a 30% chance of reoccurrence in breast cancer from regular soy consumption. And I've had, you know, you hear about men getting concerned that they're going to get male boobs like if they have soy. And there was one case report, but that person was consuming, I mean, vast, large quantities of soy. You know, you wouldn't, no one would really do that. <laughs> so I really encourage, you know, just regular soy. I teach them how to make a tofu scramble because for me, like I'm busy, I'm working full time, you know, and I like to exercise and all that kind of stuff. So then the day I'm like, I want something kind of quick. And so I always have a tofu scramble on hand. You know, I add um, turmeric and cumin to it and, you know, some uh, saute, some spinach or, or onion. So I, I tell patients just keep this around. And then I put, I top it on everything, my avocado toast, my sweet potatoes, my salads, my stir fries, and, you know, just sort of teaching them quick and easy ways to, to be able to incorporate that. So those are the big myths. Oh, another big myth is I can't afford it, right? I can't mm -hmm. afford to go whole food plant-based because they're imagining that you have to go to whole foods market, <laughs> buy everything organic. And, you know, and really the stuff that, gosh, I mean, 
you know, you get a bag of beans, right? For like a couple bucks, my tofu, my block of tofu is like $1.79. My sweet potatoes are 99 cents per pound. Yeah. How much um, are these people spending on steaks and things like that? Exactly. <laughs> and, and if you do a lot of the highly processed plant-based foods, right? In the, in the frozen section or fridge, that could get expensive, but really with a whole food plant-based way of eating, we're, we're minimizing those processed foods. So I'm like, no, this is a lot cheaper. Like, you know, it's in, you can go to farmer's market and things like I, I shop at Trader Joe's a lot. Um, they've got great prices. I get a lot of my nuts and seeds there because they're uh, great prices. And then Aldi is doing a really nice job about getting organic fruits and vegetables. And also it's okay to get frozen fruits and vegetables, as long as, you know, the vegetables are not sauteed in butter and cheese, but buying them frozen. And that's a really economical way. And, you know, you're not going to worry about your fresh produce going bad. You can just kind of parse out what you need that night. So that's a really good way. And then, you know, cans of beans, and as long as you rinse them to get the extra salt off, you know, that's, that's a good, healthy way to keep the prices down and, and, and stay healthy. And, you know, what other things, you know, when I, when I go out, what am I going to do? And, you know, you're familiar with the happy cow website and app that I've got on my phone. And whenever I travel, you know, anywhere, even international, I've got happy cow, I pull up, you know, where are my vegan options? We, we drove to Northwest Iowa in December, 11 hours to get my Bernie's mountain dog that walked through and we're like nowhere, Iowa. And I'm like, where are we going to eat? Hold up happy cow. And I'm like, Oh, there's actually a place like a half an hour away. So, you know, you have to maybe you don't need to be creative. You just have to be willing to say, this is just what I do. And you go to restaurants nowadays and they usually have a vegan option or you can veganize it. It's very easy to veganize, you know, spaghetti with meatballs, just not the meatballs or, you know, a salad, just, you know, no cheese and, and no um, animal protein on it. So there's ways to, to veganize a lot. Yeah. And um, another thing people can do is just, if you use Yelp, you can just type in vegan or plant-based Google does yeah. it. So yeah, before those apps didn't really have a lot of the plant-based options and now they do. So there's just yeah. so many things. And then like rice beans and salsa is always like a really easy go-to and you can go to yeah. any like burrito place. There's, there's right. a burrito place in almost any town and you can just find yeah. stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's just, but it's, it's just learning how to, you know, reach like to change how you look at things. And yep. like, once you realize that, like the change part is never easy for anybody. And right. but that's where growth comes from. And that's where like expanding your horizons comes from. And then you get mm -hmm. to be an example for everybody around you too. And yeah. when you go to a party and like you bring your own like plant-based option or a family event, everybody ends up eating your food because it just looks so good. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think even when you get to following the pillars, like I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. And so people will say, well, Dr. Sonderman, you love to run. And I said, well, I do. However, so I have to get up really early. My, my whole, I feel like my whole day is, okay, this is the time I have to start seeing patients. So I move backwards. I want to get my run in. So this is when my alarm is set. Gosh, in the den of winter, when my alarm goes off at 4.45 or 5 a.m. and it is dark out and it is cold and it's snowy, I really don't jump out of bed thinking, yes, I get to go run in this. But it's such an ingrained habit that I just, you know, the only thing I do is my husband and I run together is we get our phones out in the morning because now we're awake so we can use our phones. Um, and I look at the weather and that dictates how I dress, right? So it's not a question of should I or shouldn't I. It's like, this is what I do. Just like I make my bed or I brush my teeth in the morning. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go outside and I'm exercise, right? And taking that sort of dialogue away and just saying like, this is just part of my lifestyle. And I know that 
my body needs this. My mind needs this. This will set the course for my day. It works out best for me to do it before I go to work because I never know when I'm going to be done seeing patients. And so it just works out. I can control what happens before work. Sometimes after work, I can't control as well. So I think everyone has to figure that out for themselves. For some people, it works out best to have, they have a lunch hour, they can do it. Or for some others, it's after, you know, after work, because when my kids were younger, they had sports practices for a couple hours. So I could go do something while they were at practice. Right. So I think it's, uh, you got to figure out, you know, individually what works best for you. And then you just, it's just what you do. Yeah. And the more times you overcome that resistance of doing it, the more it becomes what you do. But the more mm -hmm. times you hit that snooze button or you avoid yeah. it and just wait till next time, well, that becomes a habit too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Dr. Sunderman, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing so many great pieces of information for people. Where can people find you? And if people want you to like to have like um, a doctor, like a medical appointment with you, can they do that too? So I'm located in the state of Michigan. And so you probably have to be in the state of Michigan, but I, I work for it's IHA and you can just Google search me, Melissa Sunderman at IHA. My email is just my whole name, Melissa underscore Sunderman at IHACares.com. I'm also on Instagram under motivator, Melissa. I'm not super savvy with that, but I do post a lot of pictures of my dogs and, and myself and helpful hints. I'm on Facebook as well. And then I, I do have a Facebook group that we've got close to 2000 members from all over the country. That's been kind of my baby. I started that about a year ago. Um, and it's, you'll have to watch or look for this in the show notes because you won't know how to spell it, but it's <laughs> lifestyle medicine, Washington slash Livingston counties. It's just where we live. And that's where I started it, but it's, it's expanded, you know, all over the place. So that's been really fun for me because I post content a lot and uh, it's my passion and, you know, all my friends and family are like, she, she won't stop talking about this, but it's really, you know, to be 23 years into a career and never, I've never felt so empowered and the lifestyle medicine community, we're growing and everyone is just so friendly. And, you know, I listened to your guests, uh, Sonia, and, and I've met them or I've heard them speak and just we all want to disseminate our information, right? And that's where I think it's just, and anyone who is a lifestyle medicine practitioner, I guarantee you they're, they're living this life, right? Because that's where I felt like if I'm not trying my best to follow these pillars, I can't practice this way. So if I'm out eating a Big Mac, you know, sitting in my chair, smoking a cigarette, like in between patients, that probably is not going to work. So I really feel like it's this community of like, we're doing this ourselves and it works for us. And so gosh, darn it. We want to just have everyone just feel as good as we do. Right. So it, it's been a wonderful place to come arrive in my career. And, and I, I hope to continue to grow within this community. Yeah. Something that kind of a common value that all podcast guests have, and it comes up a lot is curiosity and mm -hmm. also wanting to help people be better. And yeah. by using those two things, you can literally change the world. Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, well thank so you much. so much for this opportunity. I, I really appreciate it. And I so appreciate what you share in your podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I personally am a big fan of lifestyle medicine because as a health coach, I believe that health isn't just about eating or exercise. It's about lots of different things. And in fact, I think it's even about relationships and self-compassion, how we treat ourselves. And if you're interested in working on your mental skills, I have a Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy online course that I release, and it's all about how to train your mind so you can be more positive, so that you can have more confidence to not only bolster your athletic performance, but also just the quality of your life. 
And I also work with clients one-on-one through my health coaching practice, which you can just contact me through my website. And I have a wait list right now for my clients and I can't wait to hear from you there. That's it for today's episode. I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. And I'll see you right back here next week.